You're watching Reason and Theology Live, a show dedicated to charitable discussions, debates, interviews, commentary, and analysis. The show concentrates on theological topics, historical matters, and philosophical problems with content ranging from introductory material to in-depth examination. And now, your host, Michael Lofton. Welcome to the show, everybody. Your host, Michael, on a Thursday afternoon, pleased to announce we have His Excellency Bishop Strickland, who's going to be joining us here in just a moment to discuss the crisis in the Catholic Church. Also pleased to announce we're going to have my co-host, William Albrecht, joining us. So glad to have him uh, back on as well. So I'm uh, going to go ahead and bring them on stage here just a second. Bishop Strickland, coming up next. Your Excellency, welcome to the show. How are you? Thanks, Michael. I'm uh, okay. It's an honor to have you on. I've really appreciated uh, the things that I've seen from you as far as videos and audio content and, of course, the way you shepherd your flock. So I'm honored to have you on. Well, thank you, Michael. I'm, I'm glad to be with you. William, welcome back. I'm glad to be here, Michael, and uh, thrilled to be here with you, Your Excellency. Thrilled. I love everything you do the books you've written, your talks, everything. And I'm thrilled to say that we both live in Texas. Very, very honored to be here with you. Thanks, William. Your Excellency, we're discussing the crisis in the Catholic Church today. And there's, you know, we, we have a lot of viewers who are non-Catholics. They're discerning the Catholic Church. But we also have a lot of viewers who are new to Catholicism. They're recent converts. And so some of this information is probably going to be new to them. So can you first maybe answer the question, is there a crisis going on right now in the Catholic Church? And if so, what, what exactly does it consist of? Well, I would agree that uh, there is a crisis. Uh, the church has endured crises before through 2,000 years of history. I think we always need to keep that perspective, not to downplay what we're facing, but to strengthen our hope and our commitment to Jesus Christ and to trust what he said. The church will endure until the end of the age. The Holy Spirit will be here to guide us. The gates of hell will not prevail. They're rattling and shaking about as powerfully as I've ever seen. Um, so there is a crisis. And I believe not just in the church, but certainly the Catholic Church, as I believe, is the church that Christ established. It is the leader of the Christian world. And really, ultimately, in our faith, if we follow the logic, the leader of the world, the leader of the truth of Jesus Christ, not in a in a governmental sense, but simply rooted in the truth. So you could label it in many different ways. I think there's a crisis of truth, of really believing what is true and what is not. It's all sort of blurred and mixed. There's a crisis of faith, especially supernatural faith, which in a sense, all faith should be. If it's real faith, it's supernatural. A crisis of belief in God and certainly not just sort of a perfunctory belief in God, but a real commitment to God through his son, Jesus Christ. So <laughs> I guess, Michael, after all that, I would say there there's a whole menu of crises. So which one? I mean, it all comes down to what do we believe in? What is true? I, interestingly, and I, I would imagine that all three of us, to some extent, experience a deepening of faith as we face the darkness and the refusals and the denial of faith, it just makes me stronger. Um, not that I especially want to get that strong, but um, I think the, the positive reaction is to just be more clear of what I know, uh, of what I believe, and what is true and to encourage people to look beyond the noise in the church and in society, in this nation and around the world, look beyond the noise to the truth. What do we know just by being human beings? And what has God revealed to us ultimately through his son, who is truth incarnate? You know, that, that also reminds me of something His Excellency Bishop Schneider said when, when we had him on. 
Um, he, he mentioned about how we as laity need to be faithful to our baptism. So in the midst of this crisis, we need to be doing everything that we can to uh, strive towards holiness. And, and that's one of the things you, you just mentioned there. There was a crisis of uh, faith, <laughs> truth, and commitment to God. Um, could you maybe expand on those a little bit? What are some of the things that you've noticed as far as a crisis of faith and uh, truth? What are some of the things that you've noticed we're struggling with? Well, as a, as a human family today, I think we can say we're not sure about God any longer. Many, and no one's, I mean, it's never been the case that everyone has embraced God, Father, Son, and Spirit, as we do in the Christian um, tradition. But there's, there's a lot of doubt there. And that, I believe, progresses to a doubt and a question of who are we? Mm. What does it mean to be human? We believe that we're created in the image and likeness of God. That gives us definition of what it is to be a human. One of those creatures that are in the image and likeness of God, unlike the animals, unlike the beautiful plants, unlike the beauty of creation, in that sense, human beings, man and woman, and I have to underscore that those are the only options for the Judeo-Christian tradition. It's not a menu of choices. It's male or female. That's how God created us in his image and likeness. And I think we, we're confused about that. We're confused mm -hmm. about just about everything, it seems, yeah. um, as a culture. as a, And I say a human family. It's, it certainly has infected this nation, the United States, that I was raised in a very patriotic family. My father was in the Navy during the Second World War and always raised us to be respectful to the nation, to the flag, to all of those leaders that lead the nation at any given moment, whatever the politics. And we're confused about that. Uh, there's so much confusion that it can be very disheartening. But I try to remember the joy of knowing the truth that Jesus Christ has shared with us. It's good news. And to be strong in that, not in some sort of you know, rose-colored glasses, ignoring the brokenness, but knowing we know the truth. We know the Lord Jesus, who is the incarnate Son of God. We can turn to his word. We know the Bible is the revealed word of God. Many believers embrace that truth with us. So we've got a lot of truth. We've got a lot of anchors that we need to hold on to. Well, well said. And I, you know, I want to ask you about the causes of the crisis. What have you observed to be the main cause or causes that is behind a lot of the issues right now in the Catholic Church? Well, um, really, Michael, I think we, uh, just to share my own experience, yeah. I'm 62 years old. We can go back to 1958 when I was born and say, oh, well, this is the problem. That's where it started. And then if you think a little deeper, you can say, no, it was around the year 1900 and some things happened then. So I guess my point is what we're seeing didn't happen overnight. It is, at least a lot of people that I talk to and what I'm experiencing, the, the unraveling is speeding up it's happening more and more quickly i mean in the year 2000 people might have predicted some of the things that we're facing now in the year 2021 21 years later and we would probably have said ah oh, that you know that's overblown that's it's too pessimistic we aren't going that far but it, it just seems to be gaining momentum and more and more of letting go of the truth so um you know it may not be the the most popular thing to say, but I think that one marker is the Protestant Reformation. Yeah. Um, when leaders said, we don't necessarily agree with this ancient Catholic faith any longer, and we don't agree with the Pope, and we don't agree, we don't agree, we, we protest. Yeah. That, and even that can be, you know, you look further back to um, a letting go of 
basic truth. And, and certainly, as we look at that sort of sweep of history, there's a lot of corruption, a lot of the sinfulness of men and women, a lot of reasons that people can sort of hang there. That's my reason because of the corruption in the church, which is today and was 500 years ago. And before that, there's, I mean, the corruption in the, the state and the church landed the son of God on a cross. That's why he died, because people were maneuvering and not willing to face that he's truth incarnate. So it, you know, it, it becomes huge. What, what I believe we need to do now is simply go back to the source of truth, to believe him, to believe that he's with us. And I'm a pretty simple guy. I don't claim to be a great scholar of anything. I'm not an expert in anything, but I believe deeply in what the church tells us uh, as revealed truth. One of the, um, there's a, a hymn that we were singing during the Easter season, and it has a line, Resurrexit Sicut Dixit, Latin, um, from the uh, Regina Chaley. And it basically, it, it just translates, he rose because he said he would. That's what I gravitate to. Basic statements. We believe that bread and wine become his body and blood as Catholics. And there's a crisis in that. Mm. And many Catholics are saying, oh, I don't really believe it. I believe it because Jesus Christ said it. He said, this is my body. This is my blood. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. I believe him. I believe him. And that's why I believe we need to refocus on those very fundamental basic beliefs. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, to reiterate your, what you're saying, you're saying effectively get back to the source, get back to what Jesus taught us. And, and I think that's very well said. What are some additional things that we as laity can do practically um, to um, handle the crisis spiritually and emotionally? Because there, there's a lot of people out there that are very, very confused and they're really not sure how to emotionally handle what's going on in the Catholic Church. Um, and, and they're tempted to be scandalized. What are some practical things we can do? Well, I would um, echo what Bishop Schneider said. Mm -hmm. Think about what it means for to you to be baptized. Mm -hmm. It basically beautifully is exactly what the Blessed Virgin Mary in virtually every apparition approved and official or not. Her message is our, our spiritual mother is turn, repent of sin and believe in the gospel. Mm -hmm. That's what happens at baptism. Our sins are washed away and we are given life, the grace of God to allow us to grow in faith. This evening, once again, I, this is the season where bishops are celebrating a lot of confirmations. Basically, almost every evening of the week, I'm out in large churches, small churches, celebrating confirmation. And part of the rite of confirmation is renewal of baptismal promises. Mm -hmm. I would say as simple as that for anyone that's, that's worried, and a lot of people are, people that people get depressed, there's more talk and more incidents of suicide. It's it's affecting people. Yeah. Um, all of this. I mean, the the pandemic and the concerns about the nation and the the crisis in the church. It's 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 got people worried, and sometimes they get really pulled deeply into that in very negative ways. So I would say, looking, my advice would be one thing you can do is embrace i'm baptized what does that mean it means i've been forgiven original sin and given the opportunity through the sacrament of confession to be forgiven to have that renewed over and over again um that's very basic that people need to do for their own mental and spiritual health get closer to the sacraments start with your baptism and you know, maybe make it a practice of just for your own prayer. Renew your own, renew your baptismal promises. Mm -hmm. Reject Satan 
I think that's important. We could have a whole other conversation about the importance of what we do at baptism. Reject Satan. Say no to evil and violence and the hatred and so much that too many people are saying yes to in the world today. They're saying, okay, we're going to create a, we're going to do this reset by embracing evil and violence and hatred and fomenting the hatred among peoples. That's Satan in our faith. So we reject Satan and we say, I believe in God, the father, the creator of all in God, the son, Jesus Christ, our savior in God, the Holy spirit who lives in each of us and calls us to the good and away from the evil. To me, that's good advice for just every one of us uh, baptized. And for those who may not be baptized to consider, maybe you want to be baptized, to be rooted in rejecting evil and embracing good, which God is ultimate love, good, beauty, truth. God is, is that, that is the existence of God. So to reject the evil and embrace the good, embrace the truth that we can all do. Uh, the saints are great examples of that. And we need to look to them to be strengthened. I mean, I'm strengthened by the, the martyr bishops and mm -hmm. the other saints. I mean, we have such a rich communion of saints, wonderful, interesting people that lived in every age of the church. We need to know them better and see them as examples that we can endure anything in Jesus Christ. That's very convicting and helpful because I, I know, you know, personally when I sin, what I'm effectively doing is I'm not rejecting Satan as I promised to do in my baptismal creed. I'm not doing that. So it's a very good point. Let me ask one more question before I pass it over to um, uh, my co-host here, William. Um, one of the ways that I look at it is, and I want to get your thoughts on this. Tell me what you think. The way I look at the crisis is, the mystical body of Christ, which is the body of the head, which is Jesus, is currently suffering. It's undergoing a crucifixion. Just as the head was crucified and suffered, so too is his body. Whatever that happens to the head is going to happen to his body, the church. And we're undergoing a very serious crucifixion right now. I think the good news is the head was resurrected and he was vindicated and he was uh, triumphant in the end. And likewise, we too should not despair because we're, we're going to, as the head was resurrected, we too, the body will be resurrected and triumphant. What do you think about that? Absolutely. That's, that's our faith. It is the good news. The good news. And I, I mentioned that to the kids that I confirm very often is it didn't end with his death on the cross. Yes, he died. He really died. We need to embrace that to know that he really lived. He really died. He really rose. What does that mean for us? And that is, that's good news. Um, that suffering in Jesus Christ becomes redemptive suffering and not just tragic, you know, unraveling of people's lives that we see so much of in so many different dimensions of society today. Certainly, we don't run and, and seek suffering. We don't have to. It comes to us. But Christ tells us, take up your cross if you wish to follow me. And he also, I mean, just very honestly, I get consolation from what he says. He says, if they hate you, they hated me first. The world has hated truth since the beginning of time. Adam and Eve in that story in the garden, it, you can frame it as a rejection or even a hatred of truth. We're going to do it our way, God. And when we go down that path and embrace the evil one, it doesn't. That is the bad news. <laughs> the good news is following Christ. The bad news is thinking we can do it ourselves. And there's so much of that in the world today in so many different dimensions, whether it's the government of the United States or the government of the world or the church. There are too many leaders that are saying, we've got this, God, we'll do it our way. And we're going to delete some of the things you've told us because they're a little inconvenient. Mm. It doesn't work. It's 
And I, I guess that for me as a man of faith, what consoles me and what strengthens me is just to say, I'm not going with anyone other than Jesus Christ because it doesn't last. The Catholic Church is here with all her brokenness, with all her corruption, with all the, the sinfulness, all the letting Satan back in, which we do individually, we do as, as the body at times. Um, but the church is still here, unlike virtually anything else from 2021 years ago. What else can we point to that is still here after you know all of that time? And to me, that's one of the classic proofs that there's something more to the church than me or you or some world leadership organization. It's the Holy Spirit. It's the very life of God guiding us and letting us mess up because we've got free will. All of us do. But, you know, letting us the long. Another thing I would say is the church is about the long game. We don't like the long game as American culture. We want it now. We want instantaneous fixes for everything. God's timeless. And I think that's an important aspect of what we as people of faith need to constantly reflect on. I get frustrated because it's not happening quickly enough or things look like they're going down the tubes too quickly or whatever. Let's remember God's promises and God is timeless. A thousand years is but a day, and a day is a thousand years for God, which we're so rooted in time that it, it doesn't compute for us. What does timeless mean? But that's where God is. And so what we see is taking too long or happening too quickly. It's outside of, of God's universe because God's not worried about time. Well said, and uh, I'll ha I'll have some more questions here in a little bit, but let me pass it over to you, William. I've greatly appreciated the discussion, and Your Excellency, your, your words are very, very encouraging. It really remind me when you talk about how, when we look at what the Bible has to say about the church, we look in early church history, I'm reminded of the words of the great St. Paul when he's, you read in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and, and onward, He's quite mad, upset, that he continues to have to chastise the people of the church over and over, telling them, I've gone over it how many times with you, um, and yet you continue in your drunkenness, in the debauchery, and what have you. And yet I'm reminded of the incredible, your incredible words. If a person, an onlooker, one part of the church back then would have said, to heck with this. I'm going to reject this church because of the sinful people. Well, they would have rejected the true church of Christ, the one true holy Catholic and apostolic church. They would have rejected it. You're always going to have sinful people, as you pointed out. But the truth of the church, our holy Catholic church, the gates of hell will never prevail against. The words really ring so true when we look at no matter what, warts and all, brokenness at all, this is the true church. And I'm really blown away at the incredible words you have. And I wonder just really, when we're in the, a kind of a situation where we realize there's, there are problems, of course, there have been problems from the very beginning, what can an individual do to grow in their personal sanctity when they feel, really, they feel, they just feel, you know what, I'm going to mass, I don't know anybody there, I'm just discouraged by these people here and there. What can they do to grow in their personal holiness and get closer to the Lord? Well, you, you give me the small questions, huh? <laughs> well, there are many things, but some of the classics, again, go back to the fundamentals. For us as Catholics, word and sacrament. Um, really, William, I would say for someone really struggling with faith, read through the Acts of the Apostles again and just believe it. What it says, I mean, these this ragtag bunch of apostles, one of them betrayed Jesus 
and then the other 11 weren't exactly stellar supporters. John, the one apostle that was there at the foot of the cross, and interestingly, he was the one not martyred. The other 10 were all died for yeah. the name of Jesus. I, I like to think that um, John, the apostle, died a slow death. I mean, he yeah. He sacrificed over and over again. I mean, there he is at the foot of the cross. I'm sure he was intelligent enough to know that he could be next on the cross standing there. But yeah. I think that um, what, what people need to do is to really believe. And I speak to myself as much as anyone. And I mentioned the Acts of the Apostles because that's where you see, you literally verse by verse, see the church taking shape, beginning yep. to be what is the Catholic Church. Start, first is called the way, and then it's yep. called Christian. And then uh, two or three centuries later, the word Catholic, which simply, as we know, means universal. So the but the those who follow the way, Jesus says he is the way, the truth, and the life. I mentioned the Acts of the Apostles because it's remarkable if you read those stories. I mean, and and make it real that 3,000 people were baptized. You realize how long it takes, what that means? <laughs> I mean, talk about a logistics nightmare to baptize 3,000 people. I mean, I've been at Easter vigils where we've baptized 30, and it's like, is this going to take all night? What's going <laughs> on? So, but I think we need to, to really grab onto it and make it real because we believe this really happened. And you can get into the, you know, the question, oh, well, well, this is this just a story or, but we believe Jesus truly died and rose and the church formed around him. Sure, some of the details may not be accurate, just like, in, you, you know, they say, eyewitnesses to a crime are the least one of the least reliable parts of evidence because people have different impressions. So yeah, given all of that, it is the word of God. And so we believe that it's transmitting some important truth to believe in the power of the Holy Spirit to allow people um, and one of the things that I would encourage people to do that I do encourage people to do is to kind of get out of the mindset. Isn't that a coincidence? And to instead say, is the spirit working through that? I mean, maybe somebody who just happens to tune into your program at some time and it, it really is a significant moment for them. I mean, you know, certainly you have to be discerning and you can't just say, well, every time a door opens, that it means the Holy Spirit has blown it open and there's some huge significance to it. But I think we're on the other end of the spectrum in our modern world. We just presume everything is just happenstance or coincidence. And we don't we don't look for the sacred. We don't look for the Holy Spirit working in our lives or in the lives of others. And I have to say, in my experience as a priest, is I open my eyes more to those supernatural elements of life that you see in the Acts of the Apostles constantly. Oh, yeah. What I often say is, as a priest, if I don't believe in the supernatural, then, you know, as I've said, I might as well go work at Walmart. You know, I don't want to pick on Walmart, but I might as well just work in the world and forget it all. And for a priest to stand at the altar and hold bread and wine like I did just at noon, and I will do it again this evening at confirmation. We have to really believe that Christ working through us, his words are transforming that bread and wine. And it becomes his body and blood, as he said it would, as he said it does. It's that kind of um, unvarnished truth that all of us need to embrace and get. Just say, if you don't believe it, okay, admit it. Walk away. 
But if you do believe, let's hunker down and believe even more deeply and, and sort of mind the word of God, mind the sacraments for deeper faith. What, what an incredible, incredible message of hope. And, and I, I wholeheartedly agree. And really on that very, very same note, I think we should be more have more reverence towards the Eucharist, believe the words of our Lord and Savior, believe the words of, of Holy Writ when we're told of that, that sacrifice that will be found everywhere in the book of Malachi. And we know that that is talking about the Holy Eucharist. And that does bring me to my next question, which is a very important one to many faithful. In fact, I was having a conversation yesterday evening, and I was thinking, you know what, this, this, this is a question that is it's a tough one. And what can be what would you recommend for a catholic or even here's an interesting one the individual that i was talking to was discerning catholicism either catholicism or orthodoxy so on that very note what can be recommended for a catholic or one discerning the faith they're struggling to go to mass they go but they're having trouble stomaching it if you will because of the liturgical abuses they're witnessing and then they live in an area where it's a little tough to find a parish that doesn't have that kind of an issue, but they want reverence. They want that solemn, beautiful, wonderful, holy supper of the Lord. What message can you offer to that individual who is really going through spiritual struggle within themselves? Well, like I said, you like to ask the tough question. Um, <laughs> They don't have easy answers, but in a sense, maybe the answer isn't as complicated and as burdensome as maybe I, I tend to think it is sometimes. Yeah. Um, what I would advise that person, and I, I mean, I've talked to that person, probably all of us have talked to that person with people saying, oh, this goes on at mass and it just drives me crazy. I, what I would advise is bring the reverence yourself. If you believe whatever you have to, and I know it's tough if the music's bad and, and not in any way theocentric and is, is talking about how we're just all together and <laughs> it's all horizontal. I mean, I think that's what people struggle with. Um, you know, the, the novice ordo doesn't have to be, but very often it's totally horizontal and there's no, there's no looking up. There's no, divine element it's there's no call to god it's all just aren't we this happy little family which we aren't very happy but um but that's not what people are looking for especially when they're looking to the catholic for faith is they're discerning or discerning frankly whether they're going to stick with it or not um whether it's worth it i would say just pray and and really take some steps of how do I make it more reverent for me? You, I mean, I'll just say something very personal. I've loved being a priest because I celebrate the mass. I do it the way that is prayerful for me. And you as lay people don't have that advantage. You got to find a priest that, I mean, and it's not the focus of the priest, but I know the priest can be very distracting and and very detrimental for the where that person is. But I would encourage people to to make intentional and even really, you know, depending on their personality, but they may want to write it out and say, what am I going to do when I first approach that building? How am I going to? to prepare my heart, prepare myself, be very intentional about making it more reverent. Maybe, you know, a great remote preparation is, is to read the readings that are going to be proclaimed at that mass. If you're going to Sunday mass, read those readings. I mean, they're pretty accessible these days and you can get them on an iPhone. You can get them in your computer. You can get them emailed to you. You can, you can have access or just read the Bible, <laughs> read, read the book where they're found. Um, but that's what I would say. And I would encourage people to use their, their God given imagination, their own personal talents to say, 
I'm going to make this more reverent for me. I mean, one thing that I do is when I genuflect very intentionally, I try to make sure my knee hits the ground and stays there for at least a moment. I mean, you know, it, I confess, I see people that it's, you know, it, the genuflection is maybe a flexion, but it's not too genuine. It's, yeah. you know, it's, they don't do it very well, very reverently. I mean, I think all those things begin to slip. And, you know, it's like, man, this bishop's really, you know, beating up on people because they don't genuflect perfectly. And that's not what I'm saying. But for the individual that is struggling to look for ways that it becomes more Christ-centered, more intentional, more reverent. Um I mean, I was just, I had lunch with a priest today here in the diocese that said he was encouraging people to consider as they receive the body of Christ to, to consider kneeling and receiving on the tongue. And, you know, I mean, oh, people go, ah, get all crazy about these things. But if that is more reverent and more focused for you, then do it. And if, you know, if the, the church says they don't allow that, then then don't, you know, don't create a protest. Yeah. Just find the best way in the setting where you are to be more reverent to, you know, and that I mean, you could go through the whole mass from the remote coming to the building to how do you enter? What do you do when you're there? What do you do after receiving? the body and blood, soul and divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ. What do you do after you've received him? If you really believe, uh, I guess, William, I could, you know, go on and on. But one of my struggles personally is with all the commotion and all the, you know, real division about liturgy. You know, it needs yeah. to be this way. And this is where I want it. This is the way I want it. We all need to be, we all need to, as a priest or whoever, we all need to, to pause and step back from that and say, let me be humble enough to remember who I'm seeking. I'm yeah. seeking Jesus Christ, really present in the form of consecrated bread and wine. If we all just keep coming back to that, who am I seeking? It's him. He's the one that I'm looking for. I believe that will help to purify some of the things that sadly divide us. And the liturgy is one of the greatest divisions in the church, sadly, instead of Christ is the principle of unity, but the liturgy that brings him to us is there's so much division, so many people, so many arguments in parish councils and on parish liturgy committees between priests, between people and priests. Yep. That to me is a sad reminder that we've lost focus. It's all about him. If we really believe he's there and we are seeking him primarily, then all the rest, I mean, certainly it, it hopefully encourages us to be more reverent and to be more intentional and to be more clear about every aspect of it needs to be preparing to welcome the king of the universe. But when we we get distracted by all these other things and lose that focus, then it just becomes an opportunity for my own personal preferences to step on somebody else's. Yeah. And and, and we do notice that all, all too often. I, I completely agree with you. We need to have a higher level of reverence, realize why we are there at the mass and that is to partake of that incredibly beautiful sacrifice now i do want to ask you one more question before passing back over to my brother michael and it's relevant to everything we've talked about the current climate of the world we live in the culture of the world we live in right now as you know very well in a month where we should be thinking of giving incredible veneration to the sacred heart of our immaculate mother sacred heart of christ um we have the, the current culture shoving it down our throat that we need to recognize certain 
pride events without going into greater detail we've got uh, a lot of worldly things that are being shoved into our face things that try to take us off of the focus of the gospel off of the focus of the true holy catholic church's mission of getting us to worship to follow the commandments to get the sacraments to really follow the faith the way our lord and savior wanted to wanted us to so i guess what i think is a incredibly important question is what is the most important message that our current culture needs to hear well <laughs> one way that i would approach that is as i said a few moments ago the church and all of us who are that we're the church uh, it's not out there. It's all of us trying to live our baptism, trying to be faithful. Um, I need to remember, I think all of us need to remember, we're in the long game. And just using that lens, you're talking about June. Is it Pride Month or is it the month to hold up the Sacred Heart and the Immaculate Heart? Just through that lens. Which of those is about the long game and which is about what can I get today? What's going to satisfy my desires for right now, for in the moment? So, I mean, I think that's a good way to frame it, you know, because yeah. I, I, I'm thinking about that. Um, I'm sure others would disagree, but I think we most people would agree if the Catholic Church makes any sense it's about the long game. It's about salvation of souls. It's about eternal life. And if that's your focus, then the sacred heart of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the immaculate heart of his mother, the Blessed Virgin Mary, reflecting on those spiritual things, that's much more promoting the long game. If the opposite, I mean, Pride Month is about the moment. I want what I want, and I want it now, and I want to be free to make the choices that I may change tomorrow, but I want to be able to just do what I want. And you notice how many times I'm saying I want, but that's what it's about. Yep. It's about I want the moment. I want right now, and God and nobody else is going to tell me any differently. I want it now. And that, I think, is a way of framing the, the conflict that we see. Are we built for just now, for this moment, and to get whatever we can out of it and maybe not be here the next moment, but we got everything we wanted for this moment? Or are we built for something else, eternity? The Catholic faith says we're built for eternity. We're built to be with God. And a lot of people, I've had many people push back at, you know, what I try to say and say, oh, you're just always worried about eternal life and you, you don't care about the poor. You don't care about the brokenness in our world. Well, my answer to that is if we remember what our destiny is, if we remember we're built for eternity, then the, I believe the opposite happens. It doesn't discount the moment, but it puts it in the context of yeah. being even more important in the moment. Am I choosing Satan or Christ? In Pride Month, that's a good question to ask. Am I choosing to follow the virtues that Christ has revealed to us, or am I choosing the moments of pleasure, the moment that the world says, go for it? Um, so I, I think that what we are challenged with is to, do we really believe what we're built for? And if we do, then every moment along the way takes on a different meaning and it takes on a difference to me an even deeper significance, because let's just run with those two different models that all the all that this life is, is a few years of living in this world, 
we just all oozed out of the swamp and we're just going to fade back into nothingness and it's just grab what you can, then, you know, okay, if that's your belief system, then run with it, which a lot of the world, that's what they're running with. If you believe that we're built for eternity and that every moment takes on an eternal significance, the choices I make today, the choices I make in tomorrow, all take on an everlasting significance. That's a whole different way of living the human journey. In many ways, I mean, that's probably pretty simplistic and people say, ah, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. But it, at least in my own journey, I think in many ways, that's what it comes down to. Do I believe in the hereafter for an eternal life that I'm built for that? Or do I believe it's just about these moments here? If you believe that it's just these few moments of life, even if you live to be 100 years old, that's not a lot in comparison to eternity. That's not that's statistically insignificant <laughs> compared to eternal life. But if you believe that's all there is, then you're going to make the choices that reflect that belief. If you believe that you're built for eternity, we need to authentically make the choices that reflect that's what we believe. And that's the I mean, in a sense, that's always been the tension in in human civilization. That's what Christ encountered. He encountered an empire, the Roman Empire, that said, we're here for the moment. And, and gradually, the conversion of that empire, that where the church arose, no, we're built for something that is eternal. We, we have a destiny that is the long game. And it changes. I mean, it it changed civilization. Something called Christendom came to be, where people were all focused on living virtuously, not because it was it was a good way of interacting with humans, but it's because it's looking to eternity. So, incredible message, uh, Your Excellency. Thank you very much for that. I do you want to pass it back to my brother Michael? Your Excellency, I see a couple live chat questions. If you have just a few moments, sure. Uh, this one is from Richard. How often should I go to confession? What's your opinion here? Well, um, it's a great question. And people have asked me many times. In the, the world that we live in, I would say at least a, a lot of things we do on a monthly basis. And certainly more often is is encouraged, but I would say a minimum. You you pay your bills, you you do a lot of things once a month. And so a spiritual inventory that at least asks the question once a month. I think that's a good for somebody who maybe hasn't been in years, you know, once a month becomes pretty often. But um, I think that's a good place to start. To, and I guess I would say with that question, to build it in to the, to the rhythm of your life. Like I said, it's, it, we do a lot of things once a month. Maybe a, a simple way to do it was, I mean, if you were born on the 15th of the month, every 15th, ask yourself, you know, is it time for confession? I, honestly, just for myself, I try to go more often than that. Um, Pretty much when I ask the question, should I go to confession? Pretty much the answer is yes. Mm -hmm. um, and hopefully not do I have to. It, I mean, if if we've committed a mortal sin, get to confession. That's what the church teaches. Um, don't just delay. But if, you know, hopefully you're avoiding mortal serious sins. But there is the spiritual benefit of confession. So, I would say at least once a month. Um, if you're already saying, well, I go more often than that, great. But don't let it it slide to every three months, twice a year, because I, I would say at least monthly, all of us need just the spiritual checkup that confession should be at least once a month. 
And, and I was born on the 15th of the month, so I'm going to have to start <laughs> okay. using that as a, as a rule of thumb. <laughs> you got me. All right. Uh, this one is from Nicholas. Um, Your Excellency, could you recommend one book that isn't in the Bible? Uh, what would it be? Wow. There are lots of great books out now. I'm, I've got a stack of want to reads that, you know, I'll probably never get to. One book for, for our conversation, if somebody's really sort of uh, their imagination is really capturing this and they're saying, you know, I need to reflect more on this. One book that I would recommend is From Christendom to Apostolic Mission. It It's interesting because the author is, I think, the president of St. Mary University. It doesn't even have a name. Um which is significant to me that, you know, you can dig down and find the name in the book. But as far as the author, it just says authored by president of the St. Mary's University, somewhere in the Midwest, I believe. But the book is from Christendom to an apostolic mission. And I recommend that because it talks a lot about what we're seeing and how the, the gist of the book is that we have to acknowledge that Christendom, a culture that presumes Jesus Christ, is pretty much gone as far as the popular culture. And an apostolic mission means we get back to what the first century Christians did of boldly believing and sharing that faith and, and, and bringing others to either back to faith or to faith. So, you know, that among many books is one that I would recommend. This one is from Michael. It's a little bit more about the crisis. Um, is the unity among bishops today greater in reality than much of the popular opinion uh, portrays it? Or is there an actual issue with brotherly unity among bishops in, in your estimation? Well, I think it's a good question that Michael brings. I think there's more unity than you might if you just read the airwaves mm -hmm. and hear, because what tends to happen is voices on opposite sides are the voices you hear. I think there are a lot of, of quieter voices that, I mean, I, I hope um, are more unified, but um, with the question of unity, we have to look to a person and that's Jesus Christ. He is not just a principle of unity. It's all it's all around him. And so that is where bishops and priests and deacons and baptized faithful. Jesus Christ is the one we need to look to for unity. And I, I know a lot of my brother bishops do that um, there. You can have differences of opinion on things. To me, the, some of that goes into differences of opinion about what we believe, and that becomes problematic. That's where some of the, the real division is. So I guess answering Michael's question, I think we do need to kind of lower the temperature and remember that there's more unity among the bishops than you may be evident from the opposing voices that you hear but there needs to be more strength in that unity of of clearly proclaiming what who jesus christ is and what we believe about jesus christ and so excellent this uh last one here is from melanie um how do you deal with family who oppose you for trying to conform yourself with the teaching of the church and for being pious for example the context here is an old, older family members while you're less than 18. Well, that's an age old question, Melanie, that um, I guess my simple answer is be faithful to Christ, not lacking love or charity toward anyone. But when push comes to shove, be faithful to Christ in the way that you feel called to be. That really, if we believe him, um, that's the best way to love others. 
it may not look that way and it may make a, a, a lot of apparent division in the moment. But like I was saying earlier, as people of faith, we're not just in the moment. We, we're about the long game. And so what I would advise Melanie is certainly not in a belligerent or attacking way. You know, the, the, the church is accused of being bigoted sometimes with, with her beliefs. Real Christianity, real Catholicism is not bigoted, but we do need to be strong in faith. And so if you're getting opposition from family members about things that you deeply believe, you know, don't attack or, or be less than, than a, a faithful Christian. But if they're pulling you away from basic practices that you believe are drawing you closer to Christ, I'd say choose Christ and hopefully they'll come along. Um, but ultimately, all of us are left with that call to choose Christ and to really in the concrete terms of day to day life as we're living it. What does that mean? Sometimes it means some painful divisions with family or the people in the workplace or the, the people that we interact with. I mean, I've had friends that have, have, uh, have pretty much faded away from me because they say, I, you know, Joe Strickland, now he's Bishop Strickland. He's getting too strong about some of this stuff. You know, I, I don't want that, but choose Christ is what I would say. Excellent. Thank you for that, Your Excellency. And I really want to thank you for coming on. I know your time is valuable, so I really appreciate it. And I want to say you're welcome on the show anytime. Well, thank you, Michael. And thank you, William. Um, two in Texas and one in Louisiana. Always welcome in Texas. But uh, it's, I love the Lord. I love being a priest. I love the Catholic faith with all her warts and cracks and fissures and brokenness and divisions. Amen. Uh, I'll end with this, uh, quoting St. Peter, who my mother quoted to us as kids constantly. Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. We all need to just emblazon that on wherever we need to emblazon it and just live it. Lord, to whom shall we go? Yeah, the church is a mess. The church was a mess 500 years ago. The church was a mess 1,000 years ago. The church was a mess when she allowed Christ to be nailed to a cross. But where do we go? We go back to Christ through his church. Amen. And do you, um, Your Excellency, do you have a plug or anything that you wanted to put in or make us aware of right now, something that you're, you're working on? Well, I would encourage people to be aware of the St. Philip Institute that we started here in the Diocese of Tyler. Their website, stphilipinstitute.org, um, Philip with one L. Uh, Great resources there for anyone watching or listening that um, is really wanting to find good books, find good talks, find just sort of an online community that is going to help them. I'd encourage them to check out stphilipinstitute.org. It's right here in the Diocese of Tyler. Some great, talented people. They've got solid faith and they're joyfully seeking ways to share the truth in a culture that needs the truth. So that's what I would encourage. And, and William, did you have any uh, final words for His Excellency? Thank you very much. Would you bless us with a closing prayer? Sure. The Lord be with you. Almighty God, we ask your blessing for William and Michael and all who are listening and participating today or any other time this program is available, that as people of faith, we may be joyful, we may be strong in the light of Christ, that we may know the truth is the truth, and continue to share the good news with joy and strength and vigor in all that we do, knowing that when we fail and we let Satan in through our sinfulness, we can always return. We can always confess. We can always repent and seek once again a deeper fidelity. And let us trust that the Lord is always there guiding us. May St. Joseph and all the saints
and the Blessed Virgin Mary intercede for us. And we ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Your Excellency. And everybody, thank y'all for watching. Really appreciate the participation, the comments, and the questions there in the chat. Don't forget to, of course, like and subscribe. Share this on your social media. Also, check us out, patreon.com forward slash reason and theology if you want to support us. Until next time, God bless you all. <laughs>